0: All right, Colossians 3, Colossians chapter 3, 15 through 17. Uh, Billy Graham, who passed away last week, interestingly enough, uh, this would have been our introduction for last Tuesday night. Wednesday, he passed away Wednesday morning. And I thought, well, that was funny because I already had this in my notes. But um, anyway, he was once interviewed and he was asked the question, if you had your life to live over again, what would you do differently? And here was his answer. He said, one of my great regrets is that I have not studied enough. I wish I had studied more and preached less. People have pressured me into speaking to groups when I should have been studying and preparing, end of quote. Now, ladies, I don't know about you, but I found that to be an interesting and thought-provoking statement by a man that most of us would assume would have studied hours upon hours. And yet if he comes to the end of his life, he says, much to his shame, that he has not been in God's word enough. Would we say the same thing about ourselves? Do you and I come to the end of a day and wonder what was so important that kept us from the word of God? Did we spend any time today Have you spent any time today reading the word of God, studying the word of God, memorizing the word of God, meditating on the word of God? Did you pass any truths down to your children or grandchildren today or a friend or a neighbor or a lost loved one? How does our knowledge of God's word compare to our brothers and sisters at Colossae? Does it dwell in us like it did in them? I think we're going to be a little bit surprised when we consider what Paul is saying here in these few verses that we are going to consider tonight. Now, last time we were together two weeks ago, we looked at the eight virtues that we are to dress ourselves with. If you'll remember, they're tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, forbearance, forgiveness. And then we saw that love is the motive behind all those virtues. And that it's actually the girdle that holds them all together. That we really can't practice tender mercies. We can't practice compassion. We cannot practice forgiveness. Any of those virtues without love. But now that we're dressed and ready to go as a woman, there are five commands for this new woman in her new garment. And Paul is going to address those in Colossians 3, 15 to 17. So let's read those together. Notice what Paul says. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the father by him or through him. Well, we're going to look tonight at the five commands for the new woman, and Paul begins in verse 15 by giving us the first command that is essential now that we have clothed ourselves with these wonderful virtues. The first command for the new woman, Paul says, and let the peace of God rule in your heart. Now the words and let mean In addition to, in other words, in addition to all those virtues we looked at two weeks ago, in addition to those, you are to also let the peace of God rule or govern your heart. Now, what is the peace of God? What is the peace of God? Well, the word peace actually means quietness or rest, and it is in contrast to strife. And ladies, may I say to you tonight that the peace of God can only rule in the heart of those who know him. There is no way that unbelievers can have peace ruling in their heart. But we as God's daughters, we can uh, rest assured that God's peace can umpire and rule our heart. In fact, I thought it was interesting when the Bible translators were trying to find a word or phrase for peace in the language of the Cole Indians. You know what they discovered the words that really fit that they could express to this tribe was quiet heart. Quiet heart. My friend, a quiet heart can only come from God, can't it? It doesn't come from practicing yoga. It doesn't come from lighting a candle and singing Kumbaya. It comes from God. Why is that? Because of the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, joy. Peace, right? It comes from God. The world knows nothing of this kind of peace. It's the same thing that Paul says in Philippians when he's talking about uh, don't be anxious uh, for anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let the... Let the uh, okay... <laughs> Yes. Peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And the whole idea is as we pray and commit those anxious thoughts to God, what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, we can't explain it, guards our hearts and our mind. Nothing can intrude our mind and our thoughts. And it's a beautiful picture that Paul puts there in Philippians. And ladies, I'm sure that each one of you um, who've gone through any type of a trial as a Christian, you could probably get up and test Tonight, That you have had peace in your heart uh, through that difficult trial that you can't explain uh, apart from the fact that you know God and that he is ruling in your heart. In fact, I think the placing of this verb is very important. Listen very carefully, because as we put on those virtues that we saw in our last lesson, when we clothe ourselves with those eight virtues, then what happens? Peace follows. Think about it. Remember those list of sins that we were told to put to death? Can you be at peace while you're practicing fornication? No, can't be at peace. Not as a Christian. You better not be at peace. Can you be at peace while you're blaspheming or speaking evil out of your mouth? No, you can't. Can you be at peace while you're lying? You look at all those things we were were to put off. We had two lessons on that. You cannot be at peace. I know for me, uh, when I know that I have sinned against someone or I have sinned against God, I am not at peace until I make that right. There is just no way that you can be as a believer. And so it makes sense as we put on these virtues, then what happens? The peace of God rules in our heart. Ladies, the world knows nothing about this type of peace. Isaiah puts it well. There is no peace, says God, to the wicked. Um, I remember several years ago, Harrison Ford, a famous actor, was being interviewed, and he was asked kind of the same question that I just mentioned that Billy Graham was asked, as something like, uh, do you have, re- have everything that you want in life? And you know what Harrison Ford said? He said, I have, have everything I want except peace. And I hope to find it when I die. Well, I hate to tell Harrison Ford, if he doesn't have peace right now, when he dies, he is not going to find it. And so ladies, peace is only something that we as God's daughters can have. Now, it's also interesting here when it says the peace of God. The Greek word for God is not theos, it's Christos. And you might say, well, why is that important? It's very important. Because do you remember uh, it was Jesus Christos Christ who left the promise of peace. Remember in the upper room where he said, my peace, I give to you my peace. I leave with you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let it be afraid. And so ladies, peace comes from God. In fact, Paul's already mentioned in Colossians. If you will remember from chapter one, verse 20, that he made peace how through the blood of his cross. And so ladies, that's why we have the peace of God is because of Christ. Another interesting note before we go on is when Paul says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. The Greek word for rule can also be umpire, which is very interesting because it Should the peace of God should actually umpire my heart, my thoughts, my feelings, my mind. And it's important because remember the false teachers were coming in. If you remember anything about chapter one and chapter two, the false teachers were trying to come in and they were trying to umpire or rule the church at Colossae. They were invading them with their heresies, and they were trying to steal them of their reward. And Paul says, don't let them do that. Don't let the false teachers rule. Don't let them umpire. But who? Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And then Paul adds in this verse, to which you are also called in one body. What does he mean by that? Well, ladies, Paul is reminding them that we are a body, And as a body of believers, we are called to unity. We are called to promote peace. In fact, uh, in the sister epistle, Ephesians, um, Paul says this. He says, we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in what? The bond of peace. And ladies, again, false teachers were coming in. And anytime you have false teaching going on in a church, It promotes not unity. It doesn't promote peace. It sends divisions and strifes. And Paul is saying, remember, the peace of God is to rule in your heart and you've been called to one body. You are to be at at unity with one another. Well, Paul then gives a second command for the new woman, and that is we are to be thankful We are to be thankful. This means be grateful. In fact, the Greek tense is the idea of a continual obligation to be thankful. Be constantly thankful Once Now, you might be saying, Susan, is there a connection with peace and being thankful? I believe there is. Think, if you have a spirit of thankfulness then aren't you usually peaceful? Have you ever been around someone who grumbles and complains about everything and is not thankful for anything? They're not at peace, are they? They're restless. They're contentious. They're actually not very fun to be around, right? Ladies, think about this. Gratitude promotes what? Peace. It promotes peace. And I think an interesting side note is this. Do you know that ingratitude is a sign of an unbeliever? If you have an unthankful heart tonight, you better wake up and maybe you know smell the coffee or re- read the scriptures. Ingratitude is a sign of an unbeliever. Listen to Romans one twenty one. Because they did not know God, neither did they glorify Him, nor were they thankful. They weren't thankful. They didn't know God. They weren't thankful. Also, do you know that's a sign of the last times? In the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. If that does not describe our age, I don't know what does. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. I mean, read that list sometime in 2 Timothy. Ladies, ingratitude, not being thankful is a sign of an unbeliever. And as God's children, you know, it's God's will for your life. A lot of times people say, what, Susan, how can I know God's will for my life? Well, here's one thing you can know for sure. Do you know it's God's will for you to be thankful in everything? Give thanks. Paul says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. First Thessalonians five eighteen. That's God's will for your life to be thankful for everything and in everything. Well, not only are we to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, not only are we to be thankful, but Paul goes on in verse 16 to give us two more commands to obey. Notice what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Paul begins in verse 16 by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is the third command for the new woman. She is to let the word of Christ dwell in her richly. Now, ladies, the word let is a different Greek word than the one in verse 15, which meant to rule. Okay, that's the one in verse 15. This word in verse 16, the word let means to inhabit. And the word for word is logos, which is the entire body of God's truth. Do you know what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae? They are to let the entire body of God's truth to inhabit them, to dwell in them. Now, ladies, the word of God can only dwell in us to the extent that we know it. And think with me very carefully. Put your thinking caps on at the time. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae. They did not have most people did not have personal copies of God's word. Too rare, too expensive. You, it was unheard of to have a personal copy of God's word. So how in the world were the church at was the church at Colossae supposed to let the word of God dwell in them richly? They had to memorize it, right? They had to meditate on it. They had to listen to the word of God being spoken, and then they meditated on it and memorized it. Something to think about, isn't it? Ladies, we have the written word, we have it on our phone, we have it at home. I have my at home, I have my dad's Bible, my grandpa's Bible, I have I don't know, I think I have a whole row of Bibles. And yet with all the advantages that we have over the church at Class A do you know most people today are biblically illiterate? I'll never forget counseling a woman one time as years ago, and she came in for counseling because she was uh, struggling with anxiety. And I said, "Well, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter six? Jesus has a lot to say." about anxiety and the cure for that and this was a woman who told me she went to church every sunday she was a born again christian blah 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 and so i handed her my bible and t- asked her to turn to matthew chapter six and you know the poor woman couldn't find matthew six you know i didn't ask her to turn to malachi the italian prophet i said matthew you know the first gospel in the new testament and i thought no wonder this woman is struggling with anxiety she doesn't even know where to go in the word of god to find help for her anxiety she had no clue Ladies, the word of God is to indwell us. It is to inhabit us. Is the word of God at home with you? Does it inhabit you? Does your blood bleed bibline? As Charles Spurgeon once said about John Bunyan. Listen to what he said about this man. He says, why this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text for his very soul is full of the word of God, end of quote. Wouldn't that be a great thing to be said about us? Ladies, Paul is clear here in this verse. It should dwell in us richly. It should dwell in us richly. And you might say, well, Susan, you know, that was back then. I mean, they didn't have the Bible, and, you know, we got the Bible. We don't have to do that. Well, do you know as the New Testament church progressed and men and women did start getting copies of the Bible do you know that most men and women before us cherish God's word more than you and I do? Listen to this. Tertullian devoted his days and nights to Bible reading so much he even memorized much of its punctuation. Beza could repeat all of Paul's letters in Greek at the age of 80. Kramer could repeat the entire New Testament from memory. Theodos the Younger could repeat any part of scripture exactly. Now, I've only known of one person in my lifetime that has memorized the whole Bible, and that was the man that mentored my husband. And uh, that was an amazing thing to listen to that man talk. And you might say, well, Susan, those are men. I mean, we're women. Come on, you know, I homeschool. I got to do the laundry. Well, listen to this. Frances Havergale, she wrote my favorite hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. Do you know she memorized the entire New Testament, Psalms, and Isaiah in her teenage years? The entire New Testament, Psalms, and Isaiah in her teenage years. And in her later years, she memorized the minor prophets. And she didn't live very long. She only lived to the age of 43. And no, she did not die of scripture memorization. She died of (laughs) consumption. And she and her sister would go on walks together, and that's how they memorized God's word. So ladies, when Frances Havergale died at the age of 43, do you know how many verses she had memorized? 12,935. That's a lot. In fact, I read about one man years ago who became a Christian. He decided he was just going to memorize one verse a day. And you know what the result was? By the end of his three-year birthday in Jesus, he had over 1,000 verses memorized just because he decided to memorize a verse a day. Ladies, the saints of old are a model for us to follow. The early church knew nothing about quiet time, daily devotion. In fact, I've heard my husband say more than once the term quiet time has done more damage to the New Testament church than anything else because, you know, we think we, you know, get up in the morning, get our coffee, we have a few minutes with God, and we put the Bible away, we put God away, and then we go about our day. And we've said, well, I've done my duty, so we kind of tack God on to our... Our life, whereas what he should be our life. Isn't that what we've been learning in Colossians? He is sufficient. He is everything. And yet, as I said, with all the advantages we have over at the church at Colossae, it does not dwell in us. One man said this, the family Bible is more often used to adorn coffee tables or press flowers than it is to feed souls and discipline lives. Ladies, what about you? Do you read the word? And I don't mean just a chapter a day to keep the devil away. I mean, do you read great portions of it? Do you read from Genesis? I can't tell you how many women I've met over the years. And I've met a lot of women in the last 14 years that I've been traveling. I cannot tell you how many women I have met, claim to be born again Christians, claim to love God. They've never read the 66 letters he wrote to them. Never read from Genesis to Revelation. Ladies, do you study it? Do you memorize it? The truth of God's word should permeate your life. It should govern your thoughts, your words, your deeds. Ladies, we must read it, study, memorize, live it. We must pass it on to our children. You know, in fact, in Deuteronomy, it says that we teach our children diligently. Do you know what that word diligently means? It means we repeat repeat to our children over and over and over and over again. What? Repeat to them what God's word says. They learn by repetition, just like you and I learn. That's what it says about the godly man in Psalm 1. He what? He meditates day and night in the word of God. And that meditate, Hebrew word, means to murmur over and over again in a low murmuring tone of voice until scripture becomes implanted on your mind. That's what we call scripture memorization in the 21st century. Now, granted, some may use the excuse they can't understand the Bible, I've heard that. And, you know, I I I confess to you tonight, there's parts of the scripture. I mean, I just am right now in Joshua, just got done with the first five books of Moses. And there's something, you know, there's several times I go, I don't know what's happening, you know. And you get into some of the prophets, prophets and I don't know what's happening. And granted, some of it is hard to understand. But I love what Mark Twain once said that should prick each of our hearts. He said this. Most people are bothered by the passages of Scripture which they cannot understand. But as for me, I've always noticed that the passages in Scripture which trouble me the most are those which I do understand. Isn't that the truth? Well, Paul then adds a fourth command for us to follow in this verse. He puts it like this teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So ladies, the fourth command for the new woman is that we teach and admonish each other. We teach and admonish each other. I don't know if you remember back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Remember what Paul said about him and Timothy? They wanted to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, and they did that by teaching them. And admonishing them and ladies I bring that out because as a pastor's wife many people believe Teaching and admonishing is just for the pastor and his wife. It is not You know what paul says I'm confident you all are filled with knowledge. You all are full of goodness and you all are able to counsel each other You don't need a professional counselor. You just need a good friend that loves you enough To admonish you. And so Paul is telling the whole church at Colossae, you all teach and admonish each other. And, you know, that's why the word of Christ had to dwell in them. If the word of God was not dwelling in them, how could they teach and admonish each other? Now, you might say, well, what is teaching? Really, teaching is just imparting truth to someone. That's all it is. Teaching is imparting truth. Truth to someone. And admonishing someone means to caution them gently. Could I add that? To caution gently or to warn. And ladies, before we go on, I'd like to add a word here about how we receive admonishment. I know some of us like to dish it out. I don't like to dish it out. I know the lady that disciples me, she says, Susan, when you confront, always use a white glove. And uh, I really don't like to confront. I know some of you probably think I do, but I don't. And uh, But we also need to remember that when we receive admonishment, when we receive rebukes, we should receive it what? With humility, examining ourselves. Is this true? Do I need to change? Talk to our husbands. Do you see this in me? And uh, I think it's a proud person who defends herself without serious examination of heart and so but we still are to teach and admonishing one another now paul says we do this in a way that would probably seem very foreign to us and that is through music notice what he says teach and admonish each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs now you might say okay this is really weird but you know what it's not really weird Do you know what they did in the biblical world? Kind of be fun if we go back to that. But they would allow the oral word to be read. This epistle was read to the church at Colossae. They'd meditate on it. They had it in their heart, in their mind. And then they would admonish and teach each other through music. And so, ladies, that's why it was so important that they listen and understand and memorize the word of God. Then they could help each other. And the way they did it was by singing it to each other. In fact, one man helps us here. He says, after water for the hands and lights have been brought to brought in, each one is invited to sing to God in the presence of others from what he knows of the holy scriptures. He says they would form choirs, one of men and one of women, and they would sing hymns to God composed of many measures set to many melodies, sometimes chanting together, sometimes taking up harmony, hands and feet keeping time in accompaniment. And so you remember the New Testament church was a lot uh, less formal than ours. If you recall 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you know, when you come together, someone has a psalm, someone has a hymn. And so a lot of times they would pop up and down and talk. And and that's why Paul comes in and says, let everything be done decently and in order, because the church at Corinth had gotten a little out of control. And so the church, the New Testament church was a lot less uh, formal than most of ours. And so they would take the oral word. And they would know it, memorize it, meditate on it, and then it would be used for psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and they would use that to admonish each other. Now, you might say, well, what is the difference between psalms, hymns, spiritual songs? It's really simple. Psalms are the 150 that we have in the Psalter, and usually psalms are about God. If you've ever noticed, if you look at the Psalter, they're mainly about God. So psalms deal with God. Hymns, on the other hand, are usually focused on Christ. And it's interesting because in the New Testament, some of the the fragments of God's word that were put to music that we know about, um, when you think about it, they were rich. 1 Corinthians 13 was a portion of scripture that was a hymn in the New Testament times. Uh, Ephesians 5.14, which says, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee life. Um another one was uh first Timothy three sixteen. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, received up into glory. I mean, these these things they sang to each other were not trite. Um and so that makes you that make helps you understand how they could teach and admonish each other because it was rich in theology because it came from the Word of God. Um I remember several years ago my husband and I went to a conference and uh they told us to stand up, it was there thousands of people there. There and, uh, stand up and sing a song. And there was three words on the screen. Let's celebrate Jesus. And that's what we sang for about 15 minutes. And I looked at Doug and I said, what are we singing? I don't know. We're celebrating Jesus, but I don't know what we're doing. And, uh, I remember my daughter years ago, not in the church they're in now, but she said, mom, I finally had to go up to my music director at our church and say, you know, I've got four kids And I want them to know the hymns of the faith. I want them to know songs that are rich in theology so that when, you know, trials of life come later in life, they have something to cling to and uh, not some of these trite songs that we sing today. And so, ladies, that's how they could take the oral word because it was rich And then sing it to one another. The third type of music besides the psalms and hymns is spiritual songs. And these are really just uh, music that is giving a personal testimony of what God has done in someone's life. We see a lot of that in uh, church on Sunday morning when someone sings a special song. Usually it's about a personal testimony of what God has done. And ladies notice the singing was not to be done rotely but with grace in their hearts to the Lord. They were to sing with gratitude. Um, ladies, our singing should be for the glory of God. One man put it well, music is the window of your soul. And I do believe that I do believe that music is a reflection of what is in our heart. And so Paul says, we sing with grace to the Lord. Well, it's not just to be the singing that is unto the Lord, but Paul goes a step further in verse 17. And he says this. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. So, ladies, the fifth and final command is this. Everything that we do is to be in the name of the Lord. Everything we do is to be in the name of the Lord. And it's interesting, especially in light of what we're dealing with. Could you practice legalism in the name of the Lord? Can you practice traditions of men in the name of the Lord? Can you practice mysticism, asceticism, angel worship in the? No, you can't. And so Paul says, remember, everything you do, word or deed, it needs to be done in the name of the Lord. The first thing he says it needs to be done in the name of the Lord is words. What is that? Well, that's just what? are what we say. Ladies, our words are powerful. And we would do well to remind ourselves of what Jesus says. I say unto you every idle word that you will speak, you will give an account in the day of judgment, for by your words you'll be justified, or by your words you'll be condemned. And so that should give us pause before we speak, right? Can I say this in the name of the Lord? Can I do this unto the name of the Lord? And then he says it's not only our words but our deeds. What would our deeds be? Well, this is everything preaching, teaching, eating, exercising, driving, cleaning your house, shopping, visiting, working, playing, everything. Really, everything encompasses everything in life. We are to speak and act in the name of the Lord Jesus, which means in the spirit of the Lord. And, you know, I think some good questions that might help us in deciding If a particular, a lot of times I'm asked, you know, Susan, what, how can I know about those gray areas? If, you know, this, I should do this or I shouldn't do this. But I think some good things that might help us to know if a particular word or deed can be done in the name of the Lord Jesus is this. First of all, what is the Christian thing to do here? I I often ask myself, would Christ do this? Would Christ say this? And then that kind of helps me to determine whether that's a good thing. Secondly. Can I do this without compromising my Christian confession? You know, there's a lot of things that I feel freedom to do. But if you're with me, I might not do that thing. And I know other people that do things and they're, you know, there's nothing sinful about it. But I don't want to compromise my Christian confession or testimony. In fact, I tell a story right now, but this is on video. But come and ask me later. Something that happened around my birthday time. Thirdly, can I do can I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, whose reputation is at stake in the conduct of his known followers? Can I do this thing in the name of the Lord, whose reputation is at stake in the conduct of his known followers? In other words, my testimony. And then lastly, can I thank God the father for the opportunity of doing or saying this? And so if you can't thank God for this thing you're about to do. Or the thing you're about to say, then you probably shouldn't do it, right? Jim Elliott, the husband of Elizabeth Elliot, once said this. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And ladies, that's what Paul is saying here. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul adds the phrase, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. It's interesting that he's mentioned Thanksgiving twice. It must be very, very important. Um, Maybe the church at Colossae was negligent in being thankful. In fact, you know, in Paul's epistles, he mentions being thankful 41 times, 41 times in his letter. And, you know, in Colossians alone, have you noticed how many times turn back a little bit? Look at Colossians 1, 3. He's mentioned this a lot already. Colossians 1 3 says give thanks to God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ verse 12 he says give thanks to the father chapter 2 verse 7 he says rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding with thanksgiving uh chapter 3 verse 15 that we just uh, looked at let the peace of god rule in your hearts to which you're called in one body be thankful and then the verse we just looked at and then we come to chapter 4 verse 2 in a few weeks Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving so he repeats this over and over why ladies a genuine christian has a heart of thanksgiving you know it's i have noticed it's really difficult to be around people that are not thankful Just not thankful. And you know, if we're doing things and saying things in the spirit of Christ, we will be thankful, right? It's when our sinful flesh creeps in that it's hard to be thankful. Think about it. Can you be thankful at the same time you're using your mouth for evil? Can you be thankful when you're doing things that are sinful? You can't. And that's the idea that Paul's trying to convey. Ladies, if we could say and do all in his name, then we would give thanks as well. So what are the five commands for the new woman to obey? First of all, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Does the peace of God rule in your heart or do you resort to worldly means in your pursuit of peace? Have you made peace with God by being reconciled through the death of his son? Secondly, we are to be thankful. Are you thankful in every situation and with every individual that God has placed in your life? Can you give thanks in everything? Thirdly, we are to let the word of God or Christ dwell in us richly. Does it? Do you know the word so well that when the evil one tempts you, you're able to resist his temptations? Will you be able to stand in the day of adversity because you know the word of God so well? What are you currently reading in the word? What are you studying? What portion of God's word are you memorizing? Fourthly, we are to teach and admonish each other. Do you know the word of God so well that you can pass it on to your children? Are you able to lovingly admonish those who need it from the word of God? Is there someone that you need to admonish and you're putting it off? Do you sing with gratitude in your heart to the Lord or has your singing become a dull and boring routine? And lastly, all is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are the words you speak each day words that Christ would have you speak or have you allowed your mouth to be a tool of the evil one? What about your deeds? Do you do every task to the glory of God are you motivated to speak and act in a Christ-like way because you love God and you want to put him on display? What great nuggets of truth in this in these three verses, aren't there? It's rich. Ladies, we who know the Lord are able to let his peace rule in our hearts no matter what. We can also admonish each other in song and in the word that richly dwells in us. And lastly, we can use our life, the life he gave us, by saying and doing things that will be for him and in him, and all the time giving thanks to his name. Amazing. There was a hymn written over a century ago by Kate Wilkinson, and I wonder if she had this portion of Colossians in her mind when she wrote this song that Reed and I are going to sing, not, we are going to sing it with us, but, Velma, you can put it on, Because, and I tried to find the history of this song, and uh, she... As we stand and sing it together, notice she mentions almost every single aspect of this portion of God's word. And uh, I wonder if she had it in mind. I couldn't find the history about the song. She wrote it in the early 1900s. And because Paul told us to teach and admonishing each other with song and hymns and spiritual songs, then I thought it was a great way to close our lesson tonight instead of me closing in prayer. So you girls stand up and... Uh, Just if you know the song, sing it, and if you don't know it, just make a joyful noise, okay? But consider the words prayerfully as we sing these words to the Lord, okay?
1: May the
0: mind of Christ
1: my Savior live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. May the peace of God my Father Rule my life in everything That I may be calm to comfort Sick and sorrowing May the love of Jesus fill me As the waters fill the sea Him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel, seeing only him. Isn't that a great song?